sit by a river and hear the nice brook. Oh, that was peaceful, wasn't it? Come on, somebody. Well, we're in a message series that we just started last week called The Missing Peace. How many of you could use a little bit more peace in your life? Come on, if statistics are true, and you know, 87.3% um, of all statistics are true, right? And if statistics are true, 60% of all Americans have stressful, worryful thoughts on a daily basis. Come on, and I'm proud to be an American. Come on, we've got a problem in America. We're stressed out people. We are worry warts. We deal with anxiety. Anxiety is on the rise. Fear is rampant. And we are living in a time of life in the 21st century where we are being bombarded daily with thoughts and news and social media trying to rob us of our peace. And for many of us, we are missing the peace that Jesus paid the price to give us. So we're going to take us through a message series over the next several weeks. I hope you enjoyed last week as I kicked off that message series. But today, uh, I'm, I'm particularly excited to share with you the message that God has put on my heart. As I'm going to share a little bit how it's impacted me personally and impacted my life. But I believe for many of us, the biggest problem that we face in our missing peace is our thoughts. Now, I don't know about you and the way that you grew up, but for me, um, growing up, I dealt with a lot of insecurity. Uh, coming from a broken home and a fractured relationship uh, with, with my father, I grew up with a lot of insecurity and insecure feelings. And when I came into a relationship with Jesus in my early 20s, when I was uh, actually 19 years old, and Yet, I got saved. I knew I was going to heaven. I began this relationship with Jesus. I was on fire for God, was, uh, accepted fully what Jesus had done for me. But what I quickly realized is that I still struggled with feelings of insecurity. That led to feelings of anxiety. That led to feelings of fear. And I didn't even know it. And I had to get to a point in my relationship with God where I said, enough is enough. You know, I got a little bit of Popeye in me. I've had all I can stands and I can't stands no more. I think every believer has to get to that point in your relationship with God and in when you are struggling with some things where you say enough is enough. And I believe that day is gonna be today for some of you. As I've been praying into this, I've been believing and sensing that God wants to do something unique today. God wants to break off some strongholds over you and over our lives that have been holding us captive to anxiety, fear, stress, and worry. And so here I was, a young man, and I wanted to believe that God loved me, but I didn't feel it. I would read scriptures and I would hear messages about how much God loved me. And I wanted to believe it, but I didn't feel it. And one of the reasons why I didn't feel it and it wasn't real to me is because every time that I would hear it, every time that I would read it, along with those thoughts would come other thoughts. And the enemy would come in like a flood and he would remind me, just like I'm sure that he reminds all of you of all the things that I've done not to deserve God's love. He would remind me and come in like a flood with thoughts of all the reasons why and how I've disappointed God. 
how I've let him down, how surely God can't love you. And I went through this season where I wrestled internally. On the outside, you wouldn't know it. On the inside, I was struggling. I was wrestling with these emotions and these thoughts and the anxiety and the fear that I was wrestling with that nobody knew except in private. And I got some wise counsel from a lady who I respect very much. She was kind of like a spiritual mother to me. And she said, the only way you're gonna win this battle is you gotta win it in your mind. You've got to get on your knees and you've gotta pray. And you gotta read scripture over yourself over and over and over again until it becomes real to you and you start to feel it. And so that's exactly what I did. I started pressing into God. I started upping my prayer time, getting alone with God. And when I would get alone with God, what I had to do was I had to get on my knees and I had to pray and I had to speak over myself. I love that my wife was encouraging us this morning that in worship, one of the things that I love about worship is sometimes we don't feel like worshiping. And yet we know the truth of God is greater than our feelings. And so when we declare what is true over ourselves and speak it over ourselves, David learned the secret of this. Oftentimes in the Psalms, as I read to you last week, you would hear how he's struggling internally. On the outside, nobody knew. On the inside, he's struggling. Some of you came to church this morning and on the outside, Nobody knows you're struggling, but on the inside, you are struggling. And some of us have been struggling for a really long time. And I was struggling until I had this encounter with Jesus. I would get on my knees and I would pray every day, twice a day, when I would get up and before I would go to bed. And here was my prayer. It was simple, but I said, Jesus, I know that you love me. I know that you sent your son to die for me because you love me. And then I would tell myself and speak over myself the truth about what I just said over and over and over and over and over again. Jesus loves Lance. Jesus loves Lance. Jesus, I felt like a fool. I felt stupid saying it over and over and over again. But, but the more I began to say it and the more I began to pray it, the bolder I got. And what started out is Jesus loves Lance. Jesus loves Lance. As I began to believe it and as it began to get into my spirit and get in and renew my mind, I actually started to feel it. And as I started to feel it, my faith started to grow and I started to declare it instead of whispering it. Now it became a declaration over my life. Jesus loves Lance. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves Lance. I am a son of the most high God. I'm an overcomer. I am not under my problems and my circumstances. I am not under insecurity, insecurity. I'm not under anxiety. I'm not under fear. I'm an overcomer because Jesus died and he put his spirit inside of me and God loves me, not because of what I've done, but because of what Jesus did. Anybody grateful for the mercy of God? And this began a turning point in my life and in my relationship with God. And what happened was I learned how to fight the battle 
in my mind. Now, I wasn't always victorious, but over the years, I've learned that when I'm struggling with something, and specifically in this area of anxiety and stress and worry and fear, I believe today we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. In fact, we're going to look at uh, one of the most famous stories in the New Testament, and we're going to extract from Scripture the truth of God, and we're going to declare it over ourselves today. And I believe that some of us are going to get set free from the strongholds of fear, anxiety, worry, and stress. Amen? Yeah. Amen. So we're going to look at Matthew chapter 14. If you turn with me there. If you don't have your Bibles, it's okay. We're going to have it up for you. All right, Matthew chapter 14. Um, I love this story. Uh, in fact, I was thinking while we were singing that song, Waymaker, just how many times I think we take for granted the supernatural power of God. And what we're about to read is uh, an instance in the Bible where God shows up uh, not only as the healer, like he would do many times, not only as the teacher, but one who was almighty God that actually had the power to supersede natural laws and be able to walk on top of the water and not come under it. And we're going to see this contrast between his disciples who he was trying to teach them how they can walk in that same power and that same strength and have the same peace that Jesus had. So here we go. Matthew chapter 14, verses 22 through 33. Now Jesus had just gotten done providing uh, the miracle of the loaves and the fishes, and the people were exhausted. Amazing miracle. And people were now wanting to uh, forcefully make him king. And so now Jesus, in the middle of, after this amazing miracle and seeing what God does, he himself is dealing with the anxiety in his humanity of them trying to force him to become king. And he actually had to remove himself and get away with God so that he can find his peace. And it says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Now, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. <laughs> I love that. Sometimes, you know, we read scripture and we're just like, he just, yeah, I'm just going for a stroll. Jesus just walking on the lake, you know? <laughs> no big deal. Just happens every day, you know? <laughs> I, I hope sometimes the reality of what we read hits us, uh, of what they were experiencing. Like this man was literally walking on the water in the middle of a storm, completely peaceful, oblivious to what's going on around him. Just Sunday stroll on the lake. Love this man, Jesus. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, this is what I believe that Jesus wants to immediately say to some of you this morning. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. God's presence is here. It's him. The God of the universe who spoke the moon and the stars into existence. He's here. You don't have to be afraid. Take courage. And then Peter replied, Lord, 
if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. You got to love Peter. You got to love the boldness. You got to love the faith. Come, Jesus said. And then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw, and I want you to underline this in your Bibles, highlight it in your Bible app, write it down, make a note in it in your phone. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. Truly, you are the son of God. The title of my message is really simple this morning. It's peace in the middle of the storm. Peace in the middle of the storm. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you for your word this morning. I pray that your word would get in us. God, that your words this morning, not only that I speak, but Holy Spirit, the words that you're going to speak to your people while I'm speaking will bring them peace. Jesus, we thank you that you are the Prince of Peace and that you are in the middle of this service right now. Your presence is here with us and peace is here with us. And Father, I pray for every heart that it would be open to receive everything that you have for us, that we wouldn't miss a thing today. God, would you anoint me? Would you speak through me today? I'm your mouthpiece in Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. Can we take a moment to pray for our nation? Also, really just want to take a moment to pray for Florida. Uh, many of you uh, talk about peace in the middle of the storm. <laughs> uh, I, Florida, the, the amount of damage and everything, disruption to life that is happening there. Uh, I just want to lift up our nation, but also lift up Florida. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you um, that you are good God. And we just declare your goodness over the United States of America. Father, we pray for our nation. We ask that you forgive us from wandering away, from putting you first in our nation and, and keeping you in God we trust. Even though it's on our money, it's left our hearts. And Father, we pray that you forgive us and that you hear from heaven and heal our land. God, we pray that you bring revival to this nation once again. God, one more time, would you sweep over this nation with your spirit? And would you send revival to our nation? Would you, would you begin in Washington? We pray for uh, President Joe Biden, Vice President Kamala Harris. We pray for our Supreme Court. We pray for uh, the House of Representatives and the Senate, God. God, we also want to lift up the state of Florida to you and all those states that are being affected by Hurricane Ian. God, we pray for your supernatural provision to be there and protection in the middle of the storm. God, let your presence be known. I pray that you would provide and restore what was lost. And for people who are still looking for loved ones or lost loved ones or lost houses or businesses, Holy Spirit, I pray that you comfort them in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. I've got a couple things that, you know, as I was reading and pondering this passage of scripture, one of the, the first thing that struck me um, was the fact that Jesus told his disciples to go over to the other side. And yet he was off praying by himself on a mountainside while his disciples were straining at the oars, 
for hours in the middle of a storm. And I was thinking about, um, you know, just how exhausting it is. I was, I was actually reminded last, uh, last summer, my, uh, my wife and I took a couple of our kids and we went on a little rafting excursion. And uh, if, if you're not familiar with, you know, rafting or anything, which I wasn't at the time, a rafting excursion can turn into a disaster. And uh, the, I, I, I fondly labeled that day the trip from hell, <laughs> okay? And so, just to give you a little perspective, and we got some of our kids together, and we're going to have this nice float down the river. It's going to be really peaceful, really relaxing, you know? We had a vision. I brought my fly rod. We're going to just drift down the river, and I'm going to do some fly fishing and catch some big fish. And what turned into me having a fish on and the, and the raft getting turned around, smashed into what's commonly affectionately known as bone crusher. My daughter almost flying out of the boat. I've got a fish on. I'm trying to hold my fishing pole, trying to catch my daughter. At least that's my story. My wife tells me it was her that did it, but that's my story. I'm sticking to it because the dad's always the hero in the story, right? And so we're going down there and there was one point where you go through this ravine and the wind had picked up and it was so strong. I was like rowing with everything in me, you know, and this will test your manhood because, you know, I go, I work out and I don't look like it, but um, I go work out and I think I'm kind of strong and I'm like rowing, 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 and we're going nowhere, like in circles, but not making any progress. Now these disciples, they're rowing in the middle of the storms. Most people say between the hours of midnight up to almost six in the morning, in the middle of a storm, and most scholars believe they actually rode three to four miles. Now that will close your exercise ring on your Apple Watch, but that will also exhaust you. Think about, let that settle in for a minute. They had gotten to the point where they were physically, mentally, emotionally spent, exhausted. And in the middle of that, Jesus just shows up on the scene. And so my first thought is this. Jesus doesn't keep us from the storm. He shows up in the middle of the storm. And see, our problem is we don't want to go through anything hard. So our prayer is, Jesus, take me out of the storm. Remove me, rescue me from the storm. We want Jesus to show up and get in our boat and row for us, right? And, and yet Jesus doesn't, he doesn't show up. In fact, it, it kind of baffled me why he waited so long. But I had this thought, maybe... Just maybe he was waiting for just the right time. There's a scripture that talks about that. There's a scripture that says, at just the right time, God sent his one and only son, right? And I believe that Jesus showed up at just the right time. Why was it just the right time? Here, here's, here's my thought behind it. He waited until they exhausted all their natural resources, all their ability to make it through the storm in their own strength and in their own ability until they were absolutely spent and had no other options and Jesus shows up. Sometimes, listen, sometimes Jesus will let you go through all the other options to try to find peace 
until you've exhausted everything and you're at a place where, God, I need you. I am desperate for you. Notice, we don't, we don't get that in, in the book of Matthew, but you have to go back to this account in the book of Mark. And in Mark chapter 6, 48, which is the same account of this story that we just read, look at what he says. He says, he saw the disciples, this is Jesus, he saw the disciples straining at the oars because the wind was against them. Anybody ever feel like life's against you? Like you're trying, you're trying to get into this place of peace. You're trying to, to find some peace and tranquility in your life. And let me tell you, every time that you choose to pursue Jesus, the enemy of your soul is going to try to come against you. And if you try to get to Jesus and you try to find peace in your own strength, it's not going to work. There's no self-help for my missing peace. The only way I'm gonna find the missing peace is to find it in the Prince of Peace, the person of Jesus Christ. But I love the fact that it says that he saw them straining at the oars. He knew they were exhausting themselves, just like he knows some of us were mentally exhausting ourselves, trying to figure out how I'm gonna fix this, how I'm gonna change that, how am I gonna change my husband, how am I gonna change my church, how am I gonna find more money, how am I gonna fix my kids, how am I gonna fix my car, how am I gonna pay my bills, how am I gonna get a promotion at work? And our minds go round and round and round, trying to figure out how we are going to make it work. Until Jesus says, are you done? (laughs) <laughs> are you ready for me? And I love that he doesn't just come and get in their boat. It says that he walked on the lake and he was about to pass them by. Now that blew me away. I said, why? Why you got to play me like that, Jesus? You know, <laughs> why you got to tease me like that? But here's what he'll do. There are times when we're in the middle of a storm my Bible says that, that God is close to the brokenhearted. See, the problem is, when we're in the middle of a storm, just like these disciples, at first they didn't recognize Jesus. They were afraid. They thought he was a ghost. They couldn't see him clearly. And this is exactly what the enemy of your soul and my soul wants to do. When we are in the middle of a storm, he wants to blind you from the very presence of God. He wants you to think, you know how many times I've heard people say, where's God? I don't see him. I don't feel him. I don't know what God is doing in my life. I'm going through this. Where are you? Where are you when I need you? Where, where are you when I got the diagnosis for cancer? Why, why, why can't I see you? And it's because our eyes are fixed on the wrong things. We're too busy looking at our problems, entertaining our anxious thoughts and our fearful thoughts that we're missing out on the very presence of God when he's passing by. He's passing by because he wants you to call on his name. He wants you to pursue him. He wants to let you know, I'm here. I'm standing at the door and knocking on on your soul. I'm waiting for you to open the door and say, come. This is why I I think Jesus loved that Peter said, Jesus, if it's you, and I believe it is, tell me to come. And at Jesus' word, we know that now faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the word of God. And so Peter knew, Jesus, if you tell me to come, 
I know I can get out of this boat and walk to you. He had enough faith. His faith was stirred by the word when others didn't want to. Now, Peter gets a bad knock, doesn't he? I feel bad a little bit for Peter because everybody knows Peter is the guy who sunk and nobody remembers him as the guy who actually walked on water, <laughs> right? But what about the other 11 dudes that never got out of the boat? See, now I think there's a couple things that, now this is just me. Maybe it's just the way I think. But when I look at this story, I relate it to, the, these guys were fishermen. They were used to boats. They were familiar with boats. In fact, they were probably familiar with storms. But this one was a little different. It had them in their grip. It wouldn't let them go. And I imagine at one point, they, they probably thought about giving up and they were going to go under and the boat was going to go under. But they were familiar and comfortable in the boat. Peter, on the word of God, had just enough faith to know that if Jesus is here and he's walking on the water, I can do that too if he tells me to come. This is a big problem for a lot of us because the reason that we're stuck in anxiety and fear and worry, by, by the way, most researchers believe that at least 80% of our thoughts are negative on a daily basis. That's why we remember more that Peter sunk into the water then he walked on water because there's this thing called the negative bias that all of us have. That's why when I was doing some research on that message that I brought to you about encouragement several weeks ago, what struck me was the power of an encouraging word, but more importantly, the power that negative words and negative thoughts have over you and over me. For every 10, for every, I'm sorry, one negative word, you need 10 positive words to help overcome that one negative. And so for a lot of us, uh, here's my second point. Our thoughts can either keep us stuck in the storm or they can lead us into the path of peace. I'm gonna say that again. Our thoughts can either keep us stuck in the storm or become the path to our missing peace. Now check this out. I was thinking about Peter getting out of the boat. Now the boat, I believe, represents the place of familiarity where we're comfortable in. Now Peter stepping out of that boat, now he was fixed on Jesus and he was coming to Jesus because Jesus called him to come. And as he started to come and step out of that boat, what happens? The winds and the waves start to pick up and, and it, the winds get more furious. You have to understand something now. When you start pursuing in faith the word that God spoke to you, all of a sudden the enemy is going to come at you like a flood. And I believe the winds and the waves represent the thoughts and the feelings that the enemy wants to throw at you and throw at me and to try to pull us away from the presence of God. And as Peter, come on now, bring that up. As Peter got closer, come on. And as he stepped closer, come on. And as he got closer, come on. And closer. Oh. 
still. And the wind and the waves died down. And this is exactly what happens to us. So you get a call with that diagnosis. And now your mind starts going places that you don't want to go. It starts taking you. The enemy starts throwing ideas about all these things that could go wrong. You see, this is um, the opposite of faith. There's actually a spirit behind this. You understand that in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 4 through 5, Paul, the apostle Paul, is trying to help us understand that we are in a spiritual battle. And that spiritual battle begins in the mind. This is why I'm hitting this up this week. Because if we're going to break past the stronghold of anxiety and fear and stress and worry, we're going to have to learn how to fight the right battles. And we're going to have to learn to tear down some of the strongholds in our minds that we've allowed our thoughts to create in us. Paul says it like this, for the weapons, and I'm going to give you some weapons today, of our warfare are not carnal. They're not of the flesh. I can't row faster. I can't row harder. I can't read enough self-help books. I can't pop enough pills. I can't drink enough bottles. I can't gamble away, escape away, Netflix away, Instagram away. My anxiety. I got to learn how to pull it down through the mighty power of God. The weapons of our warfare, they're not carnal. I can't win this battle trying to fight it in my own strength, but I can, through the mighty hand of God, start pulling down strongholds. So this is what anxiety and fear does to you. Just like Peter, I believe, I don't think he just sank. I don't think he got to a point and just went poop. I don't think that happened. I think what happened is that as he was stepping to Jesus and as he started taking his eyes off the word of God, you know that Jesus it was the embodiment of the word of God. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. He is the word of God in the flesh. And so when Jesus called him to come to him, Jesus gave him the word. Too many of us, <laughs> we've stepped into things that God never called us to step into. And this is the problem why we're anxious and why we're fearful. Some of us stepped into relationships that God never said step into that. Some of us stepped into businesses that God never said step into that. Some of us, we stepped in or out of marriages that God never told us to step out of. Come on. And this is the problem. We get ourselves in situations and we find ourselves in anx anxious, stressful, and we worry because the favor of God isn't on us when we step out of his will. But Peter stepped into God's will when God called him and he came. But as he started to get closer to Jesus, and you're going to find this at work in your life, the closer sometimes, listen to me, Sometimes the closer you get to breakthrough, the more resistance you're going to feel. The more wind, the more storms are going to come at you. And the storm isn't uh, God trying to tell you you're not on the right path. It's actually, it's actually uh, saying that you are on the right path because you are getting that resistance. Let me tell you, even for this service, I got I to gotta tell you, man, I... I haven't felt this in a while, but I felt as I was praying for you, as I was preparing, you could ask my wife, I was up last night and I'm like, man, there's sometimes, there's just something on the word of God 
that's a little something, something extra. And, and I know that God is up to something and he's wanting to break things off of some people. And there is some spiritual warfare that comes. I'm getting hit myself with waves of anxiety and fear. And, and, and I've got to fight it. And so the Holy Spirit said, why do you think you're, got, you're fighting it? Because people are fighting it. And you got to stand in the gap for them and fight for them. Because my word has the power to break off strongholds and cast down everything. But as Peter is walking closer to Jesus, he's on the path of peace. He starts to get his eyes off of Jesus and off of, on his problems. On the wind, in, in the thought mill starts coming. And as the thoughts came, what are you doing? You can't do this. He starts sinking the weight of his fear and the weight of his worry started pushing him down. And so the enemy wants to sink some of you. Some of you, he's trying to push you down, weigh you down. That's why Jesus said, said man, come to me. All who are weary and heavy laden because you're, you've let worry and stress and anxiety and fear just continue to weigh you down until the enemy just takes your head and shoves it down, down, down and push, pushes you down until you're ready to cry out. Jesus, save me. And in his grace and in his mercy, he reaches out his hand. He says, man, I'll pull you out of the place that you're in and pull you into my peace. And I believe that's exactly what God wants to do. Some of you today, he, he, he wants to reach out his hand and say, come on, in faith, take it. I'm going to pull you out of that place. No more fear. No more stress. No more worry. I'm going to pull you into my peace. And I love to think about this. This is a beautiful picture. Jesus pulling Peter out all by itself is a beautiful picture. But think about him walking Peter to the boat, hand in hand. I'm going to show you how to walk the path of peace. And I'm going to lead you back into the boat. And when he gets into the boat with the disciples, immediately the storm calms. And I think that we have to learn how to take those, the Bible says in, in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, we have to learn how to cast down arguments. One version says pretension, another version says speculations. Isn't that exactly how the enemy works? There's, there's you know, we're in a spiritual battle. And one of the spirits that will often come to you and me is the, the opposite spirit of hope. Now, hope is the expectation that good is coming. That's what God wants us to, to be hopeful people. In fact, every time you come to church, you should be expecting God's gonna do something good. God, in fact, I had a testimony in the middle of worship. Uh, God put on somebody's heart to go pray for somebody who had back pain. They got healed in the middle of worship service, right? And God is moving. God, and that's what I love about this story. It reminds us we could get so comfortable in our boat, whatever your boat is. Sometimes church can be the boat. It can be familiar. It can be familiar to come to church and do 25 minutes of worship and, you know, listen to or maybe play Candy Crush while Hope News is going on. That's why I don't know anything about what's going on in church. And then I call the front office frantic, like, when's this pursuit night? 
uh, and then I listen to a message and I run out the door to, you know, make sure I catch lunch and catch the crowd before. And we could get so familiar with this, we could miss that the very presence of God, the miracle working, way maker, miracle God that did this miracle is the same God that does miracles today. He still heals. He still sets free. He still delivers. Come on, how many of you came to church today expecting God to do a miracle? I think the church needs to get back to the place where they're expecting God to move in power and do miracles. Yes. I'll never forget, I was at a pastor's uh, round table thing and Pastor Frank DiMazio, and he had just gotten back from the Toronto revival in Toronto Blessing. God was pouring out his spirit in Toronto. And he just got back from that and he was in the middle of a service just like this. And he prayed and his prayer went something like this. God, please don't pass us by. Don't pass us by. And I remembered that because I read that Jesus was gonna pass him by. And it was the fact that, that Peter called out to him. When Pastor Frank prayed that prayer, something supernatural shifted in the people. He said, he started to go back to preach, but people started getting out of their seat one by one and coming to the altar and getting on their knees before God and repenting and crying out to God. And he said it, it, it began this wave of people just getting out of their seats, coming to the front. He said the aisles were packed. The altar was full of people just on their knees praying, disrupted the whole service. And in a good way, he said, there's moments when God is in the room and it's undeniable. That was one of the, that's what I pray for. God, please don't pass us by. But you got to pursue him. How many times was Jesus walking with his disciples and a miracle happened because somebody cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Oh, shut up. You know, be quiet. Don't, don't be all, you know, like Jesus freaky. Like, don't, you know, we're going to be a tame church. We're going to be a nice, you know, safe church where nothing crazy happens and we don't worship crazy. Just be quiet. Jesus, son of David, yes. have mercy on me. See, you got to get to a point where you get, where you are desperate enough and exhausted enough and mentally, emotionally spent enough where you say, God, if you don't move, if you don't show up, if you don't meet me in the middle of my storm and the peace that I'm missing and fill my heart with peace, I don't know what I'm going to do. I was in one of those places like 15 years ago. And I know it may sound weird as a pastor, but one of the things that I, I've, I committed to do as a pastor is always be vulnerable. Because I think too many times pastors are, you know, holier than thou, and we look at them on a pedestal, and, and I'm, just, I'm just one of you. I'm just doing what God has called me to do. I'm on assignment. I'm doing my assignment. But I'm just, I'm no different than you. I have no more Holy Spirit than you, no more anointing than you. But let me tell you something. I went through a season where I started having panic attacks. And it all started because I came home on a Saturday one, one day and I wanted to go for a run. And I went for a run and I hadn't done that for a while. And I probably pushed myself a little bit too much because, you know, as guys, that's what we do. And I could do that. I could do five miles. I haven't run in like two years, but I could do five miles. And, uh, and so... 
I go for a run and I come back, I make it to the house and I'm like gassed. But I notice after about 15 minutes, my heart rate is not slowing down. Like it is just going ballistic. And I started taking my pulse. And when I took my pulse, my heart rate was racing and then it would almost stop and it would miss a beat. And then it would start racing again and it would slow down and it started fluctuating and doing all this crazy stuff. Well, what happened in that moment is my mind started going and the enemy started giving me the opposite of hope, which is a foreboding spirit. Foreboding means it's the opposite of hope in that it's the expectation of something bad happening. And this is, for a lot of us, this is what we deal with. And I think this is one of the weapons that the enemy used during the whole COVID season to try to entrap people in fear and anxiety. This is why we're seeing the numbers of anxiety disorders and fear go skyrocketing. Because during the COVID season, what happened? It was wave after wave after wave of fear. Fear and anxiety. Fear that we're going to get sick. Fear that we're going to die. Fear that we're going to lose loved ones. Fear that we're going to lose businesses. Fear that we're going to lose our marriages. Fear, fear, fear. Fear the economy is going to crash. Fear that I'm going to lose my house. All this fear. Turn on the news. Fear. Turn on this station. Anxiety. Go through social media. Bad, bad, bad. Negative, 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 negative. And, and what it did is it, it ushered in a foreboding spirit that wants us to get stuck in a stronghold of expecting something bad to happen. So, so now we get up and we say, what's next? Now the interest rate's going to go up to 10%. Now I'm going to lose my business. I'm going to get fired. I'm going to lose my job. What, what's next? What's the next wave of COVID? Is it the alpha? Is it the, I don't know what it is. You know, what's the latest strain now that's so deadly and it's going to kill us or has more power? And all these things are trying to beat us down and down and push us underneath all of the fear and stress and anxiety and make us come underneath it. But my God says, you're an overcomer. You are never meant to be under it. You're, you're supposed to be the head, not the tail, right? You're a son and daughter of the most high God. You have the very presence of God inside of you, with you. You are a man. You're a devil stomping, like spirit filled believer of God. And yet we're missing peace. Because we've allowed ourselves to get stuck in a stronghold of thinking. So neuroscience is so cool how neuroscientists begin to back up what the Bible has said for years. Proverbs 4.23 in the Good News Translation says, be careful how you think your life is shaped by your thoughts. I love what Pastor Craig Rochelle says. He says, your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. I'm going to say that again. Your life is always moving in the direction of your strongest thoughts. And so for me, what happened was I allowed this spirit of fear to come into my life and my soul. And all these thoughts started overtaking me. You're going to die. You're going to have a heart attack. In fact, man, the enemy just comes in like a flood. My wife, we, she took me to the doctor to get my heart checked. And, and she's telling me on the way, I'm freaked out. I mean, I'm like seriously freaked out. I can't sleep. I can't hardly eat. Like, I haven't slept for almost a week straight. 
And you know how that works. It's just, you get mentally, uh, emotionally exhausted. And my wife's like, no, you're going to the doctor and we're gonna take care of this thing. You're gonna hear from the doctor, your heart's okay, and it's gonna give you some peace. So we go to the doctor, they hook me up to an EKG, right? The uh, nurse practitioner goes back, comes back in 20 minutes later. I'm like on pins and needles. She says, this is really weird. She says, it looks like you've had a heart attack. Have you had a heart attack? I'm like, oh my gosh, I am freaking out even harder. I'm like, are you serious? I'm looking at my wife, I'm like, you told me this was gonna help. And she's like, yeah, she's like, I sent it to the cardiologist just to double check, but it looks like you've had a heart attack. Now I'm really freaking out even more. The enemy knows how to pile it on, right? And now thoughts are starting to go. She comes back like a half an hour later and she says, well, the cardiologist looked at it and he said, for somebody your age, you're fine. I'm like, that's it? I'm fine. Like that's, I went from having a heart attack to I'm fine. She's like, yeah, no, he says it's fine. It was just a little bit, we read it wrong. I'm like, girlfriend, I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> I was just so happy, like I'm not gonna die. One of my greatest fears because I wanted to be a father so bad and I wanted to raise kids that would follow God and it was just such in my heart. I, the enemy put this thought in my mind that your kids are not gonna know you that you're gonna die and your kids will never know you. Your wife will marry another man and he'll become their father. And these are the thoughts, I'm just being real with you, that would come in my mind. And here's what neuroscience taught us, that as we think a thought, it, it creates a neural pathway in our brain. But the first time you think it, it's light. This is why when we sin, the first time we sin, we feel really guilty. We, our, 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 our mind, we can't handle it. We're, we're ashamed. But if you keep on sinning, it, it, you lose a little bit, a little bit of that shame, a little bit of that guilt, and it becomes part of your subconscious and it becomes just a part of what you do. And if we're gonna break off, if we're gonna do what Paul says, that if we're gonna win this battle in the mind, we're gonna have to tear down some strongholds. A stronghold was a fortified city. It was walls they would build around cities to protect them, but could also keep them in a prison. And for a lot of us, what has happened is we don't even realize it. Do you know that uh, experts say that 98% of our thoughts are habitual? Here's how neural pathways work. The more you think a thought, the deeper that pathway gets entrenched in your brain. The deeper it gets entrenched in your brain, the more it becomes habitual and you subconsciously default to that way of thinking. Too many of us, the decisions we make on a daily basis are based on fear. We are living daily in chronic anxiety and stress and we don't even realize it because we've gotten so used to thinking that way it now becomes habitual and it becomes a stronghold and we're not even aware of it so back to my story i knew i had to do something radical my in-laws told us about this ministry in georgia where they actually uh, take you through a week-long process because they believed that every disease, every mental illness has a, a spiritual root to it. And so I went to this ministry with my wife and I, we, we went away for a week and I just pursued Jesus. And what I found was there were roots from my past and my insecurities 
growing up the way I did that were affecting the way I think. And I had gotten strongholds in my mind of who I thought I was that I needed help to break. And so I got a couple things real quick for you to help you, real practical. The first one is this, you have to identify the root. A couple years back, there was this, when we landscaped our house, there was this bush. And my wife and I joked that we actually paid a landscaper to plant this thing because it like overgrew, it like grew so much. It started overtaking our yard. I mean, it just grew like crazy. You know, you got some plants where you're trying to grow them and they won't grow. This one, it just took off and it wasn't even pretty. It didn't have flowers, kind of ugly. And so one day I said, I'm gonna get you sucker. And I got some clippers and I started clipping it in the branches that got so thick. So I had to borrow a friend's chainsaw and I borrowed a chainsaw and I'm taking, I'm like, I'm gonna cut you back and cut that thing back, felt, felt pretty good. I went even down to what I thought was the roots. I'm like, I'm gonna kill this thing. It's not gonna come back. A year later, there it was again. And this is the problem. A lot of us, we don't get to the root of what's causing our anxiety and stress. And we treat the symptoms. You can't pop some Advil for your peace. Too many of us, we have what I would call plastic peace. It's the peace that Jesus said is the, what the world gives. And we treat our symptoms of anxiety and stress by popping some pills, drinking some booze, looking at porn. And we don't get to the root. So what I want us to do is every time that you begin to think and feel stressed, you're gonna have to start thinking about what you're thinking about and you're gonna have to be more in touch with your feelings. And when you notice that you're starting to feel stress or anxiety or fear, I want you to begin to write it down. And I want you to begin to think about what triggered me to feel this way. What happened or what did, what did I see? What did I hear? What did I read that triggered that response? And I'll ask the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me to identify what the root of that is. I remember when I was young, I had a great grandma, grandma, great grandma Nichols. And uh, great grandma Nichols went through the depression. And so every time we go out to eat, Great grandma Nichols thought, if it's on the table, it's free game. How many had grandparents like that? It's like, if salt shakers were on the table it, it, and you could use it, then you could take it. And, you, and she would take, I mean, we, we would get ready to leave and I'm like, grandma, what are you doing? She's like pocketing salt and pepper and she's putting sugar packets in her pocket. She's taking the bread, taking the knives. I'm like, wow, <laughs> like what's going on? What happened is she had a, a, a stronghold of a poverty mindset that got in her. And if not careful, I could have picked up on that from, from my great grandma. And so I could be a hoarder. This is why my wife throws everything out and I want to keep it. So I'm like, you never know when you're going to need it. You know, she, you haven't used it in eight years, Lance. I'm like, but I might need it in year nine. <laughs> but we get these mindsets. Some of them come from our parents. Some of us are from trauma. Some of us have stopped trusting people because somebody hurt you. Some of you had something happen to you when you were younger and it's created a negative stronghold in your mind that you don't trust anybody, that something bad is gonna happen. 
Some of you don't trust the church. And God wants to break it. And as he shows you the root, the next thing we need to do is repent, which simply means to change your mind. When God shows you this is what's the problem, then what we need to do is we need to repent specifically, name it. You can't change what you can't define. And too many of us, we said, God, change me, help me. No, the Holy Spirit will specifically show you things, wrong mindsets, strongholds, ways of thinking that you need to repent of. And as you do that, the next thing is we're going to renew our minds on the Word of God. Man, we take the Word of God for granted. In fact, I would say there's two parts to the Word of God. There's the written, the Logos Word, and there's the rhema word. The rhema word, sometimes you could be in a service like this and Holy Spirit will speak the rhema word to you. And it could be a word that sets you free. It can break something off of you. It can bring you freedom. I could be in my prayer time and God, I could be reading the logos and get a rhema word out of the logos. This is why when you read, do you understand that Jesus is the word? That in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, so that Jesus was the walking embodiment of the Word of God. And my Bible says that the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. That it is the very breath of God. It is the pneuma. That it is the Holy Spirit inspired. That in other words, it was breathed into the authors. And when you read it, you're inhaling it. It was breathed out by the Holy Spirit. And when you read it, you breathe it in. You're breathing in peace every time you read the Word. And by the way, every time you read the Word and repeat it, over and over and memorize it, meditate on it. We've lost the art of meditation. Meditation, don't let the enemy rob from you and trick you into believing this is an Eastern thing. Meditation isn't just emptying our mind. No, it's actually filling our mind. You want to be full of the Holy Spirit? Get full of the Word of God. Because the Holy Spirit inspired and breathed the Word of God. And every time you read the Word of God, you're engraving a new pathway. You're rewiring your mind to think, I have the mind of Christ. Come on, Isaiah 26.3 says, you will keep in what? Perfect peace. Those who trust in you and whose thoughts are fixed on you. I'm fixing my eyes on Jesus. I'm getting in the Word. I'm meditating on it. And by the way, I'm not just meditating on the Word. This is why in the Old Testament they had memorial stones. Anytime God would do something miraculous, they put down a stone there. So that every time that they would go back by that stone, they would remember what God did. God told me to tell some of you, today you need to remember your memorial stones. You need to remember the testimony. There's the testimony. I could just see the disciples one day around the fire after Jesus was gone and say, hey, guys, you remember that day? We were in the middle of the storm. We thought we were going to die. And Jesus showed up just out of nowhere, just walking on the water. And Peter, crazy Peter, dude, what were you thinking, man? <laughs> Trying to walk on water. But you did. And it was amazing. Some of us need to remember, my wife and I were at a pastor's conference this week and we heard some amazing testimonies of things that God was doing. 
And there was something about it that stirred my faith. We had some time of prayer and there was words of prophecy spoken and there's things that God spoke to my heart that just revived some things. And he wants to remind me of who you are and the destiny and the purpose that I have for you. And when you start dwelling on those things, all of a sudden you start coming up out of that water just like on baptism in newness of life. All things have passed away and behold, all things have become new and today's a new day. And some of you, today is the day you step out of the prison of anxiety, worry, and stress. And we're going to close with this song. And we're going to have our prayer team in the back. And I told our prayer team, I said, I believe today God is going to break off the stronghold of anxiety and fear and worry off some of you. I'm going to leave you with this thought. Many of you have heard about the man Houdini. He was an escape artist. He actually claimed there was no prison he couldn't break out of. And what he would do is when he would come to town for his show, he would tell the jailer, the local jail, he would call the press and everybody to come down to the jail and he'd have them lock him in the jail and he'd get out of every jail. But this one jailer messed with his mind one day. And when he locked him in the jail, instead of turning the key to the left, which would lock it, he turned it to the right, which is to unlock it. Houdini thought it was locked and he worked furiously to try to break and pick that lock for two hours straight. And then in exhaustion and defeat, rumor has it, he fell into the prison door and the prison door flung open. I wonder how many of us have been stuck in a prison of anxiety, fear, and worry when Jesus says, the door's open. You're already free. You just need to step into your freedom that I paid for. Father, right now, I pray for every single person here. Holy Spirit, would you just come right now? God, we invite your peace and your presence. We repent of the things that we've thought that have led us away from you and from your peace. Forgive us, God. I pray, God, that you begin to come in and to speak truth to your people right now. As we come to you, maybe some of you here today and today you would say, I I don't have a relationship with Jesus. I don't know what it means to be a Christian, but more so, I don't know this person, Jesus, the Prince of Peace. And I I want this peace that you're talking about. The Bible's really clear. It says, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you shall be saved. And today could be a new day for you. Peace could come into your life right in this moment because you're free of all your sin, all your shame, all your guilt. If that's you, would you just slip your hand up? Just slip your hand up. Say, Pastor Lance, I want to receive the peace of Jesus today. I want to surrender my life to him. God bless you. Anyone else?